around. So anyway, a few things, a few foundational things. One is just this, that, uh, you know, kids aren't robots. I mean, they're not cakes that, you know, if you follow this exact recipe and you do these exact things, and you, you know, then you're guaranteed this exact outcome. It doesn't work that way, right? And uh, it's important that we acknowledge that, uh, you know, even as you understand they're dealing with the topic of, of parenting. I like to use this little chart here, you know. I mean, the, the, re the reality is, you know, as a parent, you can do everything right, everything, and there's still a chance your son or daughter may walk away from all of that. You know, they may make choices of their own uh, to go in directions that you really wouldn't want to do, especially spiritually and otherwise and so forth. Um, by the same token, we all know people, or I know people, you know, who had like the worst parents ever, you know, and yet, you know, here they are, godly, mature adults, walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, and, you know, all of these things, and, you know, you think, how in the world with all of that bad parenting did you turn into this, you know, kind of thing, and, and uh, but, but the reality is, there's no guarantees on this thing. Here's what good parenting does. It just improves your odds, right? I mean, it does. I mean, Janet and I, we wanted the best odds of producing the kind of children that we thought God would have us have. And so, yeah, I wanted the best odds, right? We didn't just say, well, just do whatever and hope it turns out all right, you know. We wanted the best odds. So uh, there's no guarantees what good parenting does. It just increases your odds. Second thing is when it comes to the topic of parenting, I, you know, I think it's very easy when, when you talk about this subject that maybe if you're here and your children are grown and maybe your children aren't, you know, walking in the ways that you would have wanted. Maybe they're uh, wandering spiritually or just, you know, not living out in ways that you would like them to. I think, I think it's very easy to automatically go to this place of condemnation and guilt and all of this kind of stuff. And I just want to encourage you not to go there. I don't think that's the point of all of this. So don't do that. In fact, uh, um, these next couple of messages are primarily you know, for people who are still in the process of parenting, you're going to have the most immediate application of this, but I think this message is going to have application to you uh, across the board, no matter where you are, whether you have kids, don't have kids, your kids are grown, you're single, whatever. I, I think there's, you'll find stuff in this for you, but especially for those of you who, uh, you know, your children are uh, out of the house, they're grown, and maybe they aren't going in directions you want. You know, I want to encourage you in a few ways. You know, one is, uh, you know, still you look for the opportunity for influence, Yes, you don't have the control that you once did now that they're grown, but you still have influence or you still have the potential of influence. And so earn influence with your grown children and look for those opportunities to speak into their lives in ways that uh, really can still speak into their lives. Do that. Uh, pray for your kids. You know, as long as your children are living, you never lose that aspect of parenting. To be really praying for your kids, I would encourage you to engage your kids at the level that they will engage with you. Now, again, it's a little harder because the control for engagement at this point is all on their side, right? You know, I, I say the relationship door, the handle is on their side now. Uh, but you know what? You can knock. You can knock. And so take advantage. Use all of those. Be humble about it. You know, engage your kids at whatever level they are. But, but the point is, no matter where you are, I think we need to hear what God has to say to us in all of this. Third thing about parenting uh, is just that, you know, parenting today comes with all sorts of prefixes. You know, there's step-parents and single-parents and foster-parents and grandparents who are raising their grandkids and all of these other things. And, and so, obviously, you know, 
when it comes to parenting, when it comes to this topic of parenting, I mean, the best case scenario, obviously, is a, is a dad and a mom who deeply love each other and who love their children and who are committed to bringing those kids, their own kids up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And, and all things being equal, who wouldn't want the best case scenario? But the truth of the matter is we don't all live in the best case scenario, right? I mean, if I had my choice, I would be six foot four, 180 pounds with rippling muscles and able to bench press a mobile home, you know? <laughs> but I'm not living in the best case scenario, okay? And most of us aren't living in the best case scenario. So get over, you know, what doesn't apply to you in all of this and listen for what does. And I say that because, you know, at times I've talked about parenting and I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know, but I'm a step parent or I'm a foster parent or I'm this and that. And, 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 you know, obviously those aspects will bring added difficulties to what's going on. But I think the important thing is you listen for, you know, all of these principles are God's principles related to parenting. And so you listen for how that applies to you in your situation. You make those connections yourself, okay? That's on you to do. So I'm just going to talk about parenting and things that I think that relate to that. I think uh, when, when it comes to parenting, there's two significant things that you have to keep in mind. One is that parenting is a responsibility. And here's what I mean by that. You have to measure the job that you're doing as a parent on your end, not on your child's end. In other words, it's not, hey, how's my son or daughter responding down here? It's not, are they doing what I want them to do? It's, no, it's on this end. Am I doing the things that God would have me do, you know, as far as my children go? See, measure on that end, not on this end down here. Uh, again, and <laughs> none of us are perfect. Nobody bets a thousand, especially in this area. It's not important. I mean, give up the idea of being a perfect parent. I think the aspect is, though, am I doing the things God would have me to do? Am I owning this responsibility? And I think also the other thing that goes with that is, you know, as a parent, from my perspective, everything is based upon my end desire. And the end desire is uh, to produce a godly, mature, capable, secure adult. You know, it's not their current behavior. It's not their current level of of happiness. It's not all, you know, I think parents today have this sense of, oh, is little Johnny, you know, happy and successful and there's absolutely no pain in their life and there's, you know, I mean, that's fine. But the big thing is, no, I, I have 18 or 20 or however many years to help shape, to help prepare, to help equip this person to be the kind of adult that I think God would want them to be. And it's my responsibility to own that, to, to speak into that, to be involved with that. That's what my desire is. That's what I'm going for. And so this is really a two-part sermon. And you're going to need both of these weeks. Or your kids are just screwed up. I just can't help it. That's just the way. It, no. <laughs> you're really going to need the balance of both of these weeks. You really do. So I want to encourage you to be back with us next weekend if you at all possibly can. Or listen to on, online if you can't or whatever. I tell people I look much better in audio, so um, <laughs> do that. But I, there, there's really two key aspects to parenting. This week, we're going to deal with the aspect of helping our children feel deeply, securely loved. And then next weekend, 
We're going to deal with the other aspect of discipling our children, raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Discipling, which also carries with it the whole aspect of discipline. You know, that comes from the same root word, discipling and discipline. You know, that aspect with our children as well. So that's this week and next week. So today, we're going to deal with the important responsibility of parents to help our children feel deeply and securely loved. And so let me share some scriptures with you. You can look at your message notes. They'll be up on the board behind me as well. But let me just rattle through these very quickly. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 22 says this. What a person desires is unfailing love. Psalm 21, verse 7 says, For the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. Psalm 26, verse 3 says, For I have always been mindful of your, talking to God, your unfailing love, and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Psalm 32, verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Psalm 33, verse 18 says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope, whose hope is in his unfailing love. Psalm 36, verse 7. How priceless is your, talking to God, your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 51. This is David praying to God after he's after he's committed adultery, after he's you know, with the Bathsheba and murder and all of these things, Nathan has confronted him and he prays to God in Psalm 51. He says, um, uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Isaiah 54, verse 10 says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my, This is God talking. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And then finally, Jeremiah 31, verse 3, it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You see, what all of our hearts long for is to be deeply, unconditionally loved. And know this, that no human being can truly love us at that level. And that is why our soul is not at rest until it finds that fulfillment only in God. But it is the role of a parent to stand in that place for our children so that they experience deep, secure, unconditional love from us first. That they are valued. That they are cherished. Not on the basis of anything that they do, but simply on the basis of just who they are. And then, as our children grow, as parents, what we are charged to do is to help them transfer 
their reliance from us to their heavenly Father. You see, that as much as I love you, your heavenly Father loves you more. As significant as you are to me, God the Father treasures you more. That as secure as you feel in my love for you, God's love for you is deeper. That as much as I love you, my love is imperfect, but your heavenly Father's love is perfect. See how that works? starts with us as the parents, and then we help our kids transfer that over to their heavenly Father. But you see, here's the problem. Is even though most parents truly love their children, for many, there's this disconnect. That even though their parents truly love them, many children don't feel deeply loved. Ross Campbell wrote a great book many years ago, and it's our featured resource this weekend if, if uh, this topic is up your alley and you want to go further with it. But he wrote a book called How to Really Love Your Child. And in it, he talks about this concept of the love tank. And here's really what that means. It means that it's, it's the role of a mom or a dad to basically keep our kids' love tanks fueled. See? Now, again, when they get older, it's our responsibility to help them transfer getting their love tank filled, not from us, but from their heavenly Father. And it's our responsibility as parents to model how that works and to help them make that transfer. But until then... It's our responsibility to fuel their tank, to help them feel deeply and securely and unconditionally loved. And just like the, the tank in your car, as they drive around through life, their tank keeps, you know, emptying, right? And so this isn't just a one-time thing. It isn't, well, I told them they're in the hospital at the nursery that I loved. I mean, it's not just a one-time thing. You know, it's an ongoing process, right? See, of fueling. It's, it's our responsibility as parents to fuel our kids' love tanks, to keep fueling our kids' love tanks. Well, how do we do that? Well, again, in Ross Campbell's book, he gives four ways. So let me just kind of go over those real quick for you. One way that Ross Campbell talks about is just through words through affirming our kids, through encouraging them, through telling them. I, was, I, I still remember last Father's Day. You know, we had a panel up here. I don't know if you remember, but one of the things that Scott shared really impacted me. Scott said, you know, I grew up in a home where I didn't hear that I was loved from my parents. And so I decided we would change that in our home. I would tell our kids that they were loved. So again, just telling them that their love, assuring them through the words that we speak to them on an ongoing basis that they have what it takes to be able to really make it. They have the stuff to really succeed in this world that we live in, through our words. Second way is through touch. You know, that can be hugging. That can be wrestling with our kids when they're little. You know, you have to stop that when they get old enough to beat you, you know, but when they're little... You know, it's tossing their hair. It's, it's 
touching them in appropriate ways. You know, when, when I was a youth pastor, I remember one of the things I did, trying to just l- put this stuff into principle, we would have lots and lots of kids, uh, you know, at our youth stuff, and I just made it my goal to touch every kid. You know, grab them on the arm, hit this one on the arm, slap them on the back, hug this one, you know, beside them. And, you know, I wasn't going to hug. Uh, I, I don't do that. But anyway, you know, you know, but touch them. You know, just do it. I mean, through our touch, you know, if you are a hugger, then you hug the snot out of them. I mean, you just do that. But, but the point is, through our touch, that's just another way that we're able to fill their love tank, to convey to them how deeply, securely loved they are. Third way is through attention. You know, giving them focused attention, time just centered on them. It could be going on dates with them. It could be tossing the ball with them around in the yard, assuming that the reason we're doing that is to spend time with them, not to improve their game, you know? Now, that's important because I know some of us dads, in fact, I I would say this, I think we... Sometimes we can get so caught up in being our kids' coaches that we forget to fulfill the most important role of being their dad, see? Now, there's nothing wrong with coaching your kids and all of that kind of stuff, but make sure that what you're really doing is, is through spending time with them, not just simply so that you can help them make the pros, but spending time with them because you really want them to know how valuable and important they are to you. It can be asking them to go places with you. It can be... Uh, saying, hey, we're, I'm going to work on this. Why don't you come over here and help me do this and so forth. And your point really isn't that you want their help or need their help. It's that you want them there with you. That can be a way that you fuel their love thing through, through, through time, through attention. Uh, and then fourthly, just through eye contact. You know, looking them directly in the eye that they're the most important thing to you, not these other distractions. I remember when Joel was just a little guy. Uh, we'd be sitting there, I'd be reading the paper, and he'd be on the couch next to me, and he'd be talking because Joel was always talking. (laughs) But he would be talking, and he would grab my face and turn it, you know, to him because he wanted my focused attention on him. Well, shame on me for making him have to do that, see? Because, again, it's through that focused attention. Eye contact is a way that we do that. But, see, here's the point. When our kids love tank is full what it does is it gives them security it gives them worth it gives them significance and identity and self-image it gives them the confidence to succeed to stand up to peer pressure to all of these other things see it's it's i have a full tank i have what it takes and so again as parents our role is to make sure that we're continually fueling that tank of our children. And then as our kids get older, um, you know, we, we still keep doing it. Yes, some of the methods change. You know, uh, with girls, you, you know, there's probably a time when it's okay for them, those, your daughter to sit on your lap and a time where maybe it's not. You know, with junior hires, there's ways that's appropriate to show affection to them when they were younger that maybe it's not when they get, you know, I mean, First day of school, maybe you walk your kindergartner right up there to the front door and give them a kiss right on the lips, and maybe that's all right. But it's not when they're in seventh grade, you know. It's, that's not cutting it, any, you know. So, again, you, you adjust. You, you learn how you, but you keep doing those kinds of things. Because, again, it's our role. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? As parents, to make sure that we're fueling 
their love tanks. We're keeping our kids' love tanks fueled and high in terms of what's going on. But see, the problem, again, like I said, is that some kids then don't feel loved. In, in, in cases where, most cases, where their parents do genuinely love them, but their kids don't feel loved. Why is that? Well, I, I think there's three ways. Let me just kind of go through these. Why that doesn't happen sometimes. Sometimes, number one, is it's just a bad connection. You know, from the nozzle to the tank. It's kind of, again, going back to the gas illustration, you've got the gas pump handle out there, you're squeezing the trigger, but, you know, it's all going down on the cement. It's not going in the tank, you know? And, and, and sometimes it's just that bad connection. One of the ways that happens is just through love languages. Gary Chapman wrote a book, I don't know, a bunch of years ago, where he talked about love languages. And probably a lot of you are familiar with that, but maybe some of you aren't. So let me kind of clue you in, even if you are. The review won't hurt you any. Um, basically, it's just this. All of us, to, to his way of illustrating it, speak a certain kind of love language when it comes to what is it that causes us to feel loved. And so when we want to convey love, whether it's to our son or daughter or to anyone, when we want to feel loved, we just naturally speak that same language to other people. Make sense? You know, that's, what, that's just what we naturally do. But the problem is, sometimes, even though we're trying to communicate love, the language that I speak, because it's the way I feel loved, isn't the language they speak. And so even though I'm attempting to show or convey love, it's getting lost in translation. And that's why it's very important that we learn our kids' love languages and that we, we speak those love languages to those kids. And, and our, all of our kids are different, right? Even our own kids are different from each other. I mean, I, I know this has nothing to do with love languages, but I remember, um, you know, our kids, uh, both of them were pretty athletic. And, and, you know, Joanna, it was the most important thing in the world that we not miss a second of her games, at, you know, when we come, okay? Like if we got there three seconds late, we heard about it, you know, kind of thing. Joel, on the other hand, he begged us not to come. <laughs> please don't come. Please don't come. You know, I remember <laughs> he made, I remember in junior high, he made the tennis team. I don't even know. We said, have you ever even played tennis? I don't know how you did this. But um, <laughs> so he's playing doubles tennis, and he said, uh, don't come. So we came. And, um, <laughs> but we sat out in the parking lot. You know, we're behind the car. We set up our chairs behind the thing, and... So anyway, different. Uh, here, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Joanna played soccer, and uh, she had a friend, Tara Jenkins, who uh, th they were both trying out at the same time for varsity soccer. They played recreational soccer together, and they were trying out for varsity soccer, and um, uh, it was the tryouts there, and uh, Tara uh, had told her dad not to come. We didn't come to that because Joanna did Even Joanna told us not to come to that, so we didn't. And, um, but but uh, Tara's dad did come, and the field where they were trying out in front of the high school was here, and then there was a street, and there was a gas station. So David uh, pulled into the gas station and then got out with his binoculars <laughs> looking, and someone called the police on him. <laughs> you know, so. So, so anyway, I, wh what the heck was I even talking about here? Okay. Oh, love languages, love languages. That's what I was talking about. 
So, again, just for your information, say Gary Chapman gives us, he talks about five main love languages. Now, again, kids speak more than one, but they have, everybody seems to kind of pretty much have a primary love language that causes them to feel loved. So, and there'll be a lot of crossover with this to Ross Campbell stuff, but one, one of them that he gives is just words of affirmation. You know, for our daughter Joanna, that is a primary love language for her. And so, again, we understood that it was important that we affirm her verbally. We understood that, you know, praising her and, and speaking positive things into the things that we saw into her that were, you know, godly and right and mature and all of those. That, that was a big love language for her. Second one is acts of service. You know, just doing something for another person. Uh, that's my primary love language to me. The way I feel loved is when somebody does something for me, and I know they went out of their way to do that for me. That's how I feel loved. That's a primary way for me. A third one is a time, you know, spending time with them. Fourthly is touch. And I am so grateful that this was not the love language of either of our kids because I am just not a hugger. You know, I'm just not. I mean, you know, Claude. He hugs people in the grocery store, you know, I mean, <laughs> strangers, cashier, hey, how you doing, honey, it's good, to, you know, I, I don't get it, you know, in Texas where we were, they were huggers, I don't know what it is about Texas, but where we were, they were big huggers, you know, you would, you would come to a meeting, there would be 15 or 20 of you, and everybody, you'd start, everybody would hug each other, it's like, okay, good, good to see you, yeah, 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 that stuff, and then, <laughs> then you would like take a break an hour and a half into it, and everybody would go to the bathroom, and they'd come back, and they'd hug again, I don't, you know, so I don't, I don't even know. Anyway, touch, touch, that's another one. And uh, the last one is gifts, gifts. Our son Joel, that's his primary love language is gifts. And so again, we had to wrestle with uh, speaking that love language to him, but doing it in a way that didn't turn him into a materialist or, you know, a guy who, who, who uh, you know, stuff was everything that was so important to him. And so again, you learn to, to, to do that in, even in just simple ways. Like, you know, you go to the grocery store and you you know, you get his favorite cereal, and so when you come back, you say, hey, Joel, we got you, you know, these Reese's sugar-filled kill-you-before-you-get-16-stuff you stuff things here, right here. And no, we didn't say it that way, but you get the point, gifts kind of thing. But what's important is that we study our children, and we learn what are the things, what are the ways that help them feel loved. See, it's not enough that you love your kids. It's not enough. What's important is that you do the things that cause them to feel love. That's what will fill up their love tanks. And so again, sometimes the reason why kids don't feel loved, even though their parents do love them, is because there's just that bad connection. And as parents, we need to work hard at improving that connection of studying our kids, of learning our kids, of speaking the, the language that they speak, of doing the things that cause them to feel loved. Second reason why a lot of times this doesn't happen and kids don't feel loved is role reversal. Here's what I mean by that. You know, I said again, it's the job of the parent to fuel their kids' love tanks. But sometimes as parents, what we can do is we can turn this thing around so that we start depending upon our children to be who is filling our love tanks. 
And when that happens, even without meaning to do so, what we do is we start getting this message to our kids. You're loved when you do these things. See? You're loved if you do these things. You're loved when you act in certain ways or do certain things that that will come back on me in good ways and fill my tank. And their tanks run empty as a result of that. And it, it's just so easy to do. That. I mean, the most obvious illustration of this is, you know, in athletics. And again, you can see how it happens. You know, your son or daughter, they're, they're, they're good in a particular way. And you go and you, you enjoy watching them and you're proud of them. And then other people start saying things to you. You know, oh, look at that. And, you know, it feels good to have other people say things to you. And then pretty soon you find yourself kind of depending upon that fulfillment of what your son or daughter's doing to see how that happens. I mean, you don't even realize it's happening. It starts to happen. And then pretty soon we turn this into this thing where our roles have gotten reversed. I mean, it doesn't just happen in athletics. It happens in all sorts of ways when we start depending upon our children to be who fuels our tank. When our kids were, when we were raising our kids, being a pastor, I regularly told our kids, listen, if anybody ever comes up to you and says you shouldn't be doing such and such, or I can't believe you're doing such and such because you're a pastor's kid, you say to them, my dad said to stick it in your ear. <laughs> and I said that to them regularly because, because here's why. I needed them to know that it wasn't their job to make me look pastoral, see? It was my responsibility to fuel their tank, never their responsibility to fuel mine. See how that, see how that happens? So a lot of times, that's why this dynamic goes on. Third reason that um, sometimes kids are walking around, even though their parents love them, but they're, but they're walking around with empty tanks because they're not getting fueled, is just this, that our tanks as parents is just so low or so empty that we just don't have the fuel to transfer over to them. And if that's you this morning, whether you're a parent or not, if that's just you this morning, you realize, boy, my tank is empty and I don't have any fuel to transfer. I would remind you that here's what the Psalms say, Psalm 33, verse 22. The author of this Psalm prays, may your, talking to God, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so evaluation time. Evaluate yourself. What is it that you are putting your hope in? What is it that you look to to fuel up your tank? Maybe it's performance. You know, I'm going to do these things, and when I do these things, people will acknowledge that, and oh, that fuels my tank. Maybe it's your money or your stuff. You like that admiration of other people about what you have or what you've got going on that just fuels your tank. Or maybe you're depending upon your looks or your power over others or your abilities. Or maybe you're trying to obtain 
that filling from another person and you spend your day sucking from individuals trying to desperately satisfy something inside of you. Maybe you're depending upon someone else to make you feel like you, you need it. And, and here's what I want to say to, to, there's a thousand other ways. But here's what I want to say to all of us. See, all of those things will give us this sense of filling, just a little bit. But then they just really quickly run dry, don't they? And that's because what you are really longing for, the source of your significance, the source of the security you long for, your identity, your worth is only found in Christ. You see, he deeply, deeply loves you just as you are. He shed his blood on the cross for you. He considers you precious. He cherishes you. You're valuable. And he longs for you to learn how to come to him as the source for fueling your tank. And so let me just wrap up a few things, okay? Because I think here's the point. So, okay, so what, what does this have to do with me, whoever you, me is today, each of us? Maybe it starts here, you know. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you? I mean, that's where it begins. Where you've come and you've embraced what Jesus did for you on the cross to pay for your sins. You've invited him in to take control of your life to be your Savior. Have you done that? Man, if you haven't, or if you don't know if you have, or if you're not even sure what any of that means, don't leave here without talking to somebody and say, help me take this first step of knowing what it means to know Jesus and be in relationship with him in this way. But maybe, maybe because of the shortcomings of your own parents, Maybe you've just never learned how to relate to God as the source of your identity, of your worth, of your security, of your significance. Maybe you've just never learned how to do that. I mean, maybe you've even become a Christian. You know, you, you came to that point and you, you received Jesus' death as the payment for your sin. You, you understood you had a sin problem, but you're still looking to how you perform to get your tank filled. And maybe what you need to do is to, is to learn and to take those first steps and say, how do, I, how do I learn to just not look to these things, but look to the real source for that unfailing love that I so long for? Maybe, you know, maybe you've, you've listened to the, all of this and, and here's what's going on for you. The dynamic of the wounding that you experienced growing up in your home is just so huge that you can't even start on this topic without that just overwhelming everything. I mean, and again, a lot of us have faced woundings, and it, and it seems especially dads are great wounders. 
Moms can wound us too. But certainly it seems like a lot of dads. And, and again, let me just, let, me just get, let us all off the hook to, to one level. We're all going to fail our kids. Okay, and, that, and that's why it's so important that we help them make the transfer from us because we can't be their end-all, do-all, everything. We can't be fuel enough, and as they get older, we have to help them make that transfer. But maybe some of us have just been wounded to such a level that we just can't seem to get past that. And so I want to I talk about forgiveness for just a, just a minute. You know, maybe... Maybe you need to forgive your mom or your dad. Not because they deserve it. They most likely, I would say they for sure don't. But to forgive them because Jesus forgave you. You didn't deserve it. I don't care how good you think you were. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. And yet Jesus in his graciousness forgives us. And maybe as someone who's been forgiven, you need to, to just marshal the power of Jesus in such a way that says, I'm going to let my dad off the hook. I'm going to let my mom, I'm going to forgive them. Again, not because they deserve it, they don't. But because Jesus forgave you. Maybe the person you need to forgive is yourself. Because you were the one who did the wounding. Again, it's not, make, it's not saying that it wasn't wounding it was but you know we have a god who loves to heal our hearts doesn't he he loves to be the one who forgives us and he invites us to turn this over to him and let him be the healer psalm 27 10 says this though my father and mother forsake me the lord will receive me your mom or dad may have done everything wrong. They may have never communicated love. In fact, they may have commuted everything but love to you. But you know, you have a Lord in Jesus. You have a Heavenly Father in God the Father who is none of those things that your dad or mom were or weren't and who is everything they aren't and who deeply, deeply loves you and longs for you to turn to Him. Psalm 68 4 through 6 says, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, and he is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is the God, is the whole is in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, and he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. God longs to be the one who, who makes up for the human failings in our lives and who steps up and says, I want to be all of those things and more to you if you'll just turn it all over to me. Hey, listen. Best case, parents, is that we would not wound our kids, right? And that we would raise our kids with God's help, that we would parent them well, not perfectly, but parent them well. But all of us, I don't care who you are or where you are, if you have children, we just need to turn them over to God, right? Ask Him to, to make up for the things that we screw up. Ask Him to overcome those 
added difficulties that come into the mix because we live in a broken, fallen world and relationships go awry and all of the rest. So, why don't we do that? And I want to encourage you again, be back with us next week to hear part two. But let me pray for us. Father God, I would just ask that in this, these next few minutes, you'll particularly just meet us right where each of us is. Whether we find ourselves as parents right in the mix, or we find ourselves as people who don't have kids and who don't plan on having kids, or we find ourselves as people who've already raised our kids, or if there's hurts or wounds, or what, God, you are speaking to each of us exactly where we are. And so my prayer is this, that you'll give us the courage to hear what you want to say to us, the wisdom to hear that, and then the courage to respond to that. And I pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, let's stand together. We're going we're gonna to continue to worship. And uh, as, I, as we do, I just want to encourage you, we have prayer team members like we always do. You know, if something in this has really stroked your heart in a way that you would just benefit from being prayed with or prayed for, then you just feel that freedom while we're worshiping. You just go to these people. They would love to go to God with you on this behalf. So let's worship, and you feel that freedom as we sing.